Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hot. Oh, this, so, this is so weird that I'm saying this. But, like, go to some sort of sex show or party just to, like, watch it. Right. And notice how your own body responds to people who are owning their own sexuality. Hello, my name is June. And I'm Daff. And you're listening to our podcast, List Me Tinder, where we delve into the bucket list of things to do before you turn 30. So June, what are we talking about today? Today is going to be quite a treat. <laughs> um, the a topic, which I already can't say without laughing, is be able to ask for what you want in bed. Okay. Definitely <laughs> a treat. Can you read the blog yes. for us? It's time for you to value yourself sexually. Understand the dynamics you share with your partner and respect their emotions as well as your own. Explore what feels good for you and learn to communicate that with your partner so that you can share a deeper sense of physical intimacy. Mm-hmm. June's pulling the funniest face right now. <laughs> Just everyone that can't see. Very thankful this isn't video recorded. <laughs> um, so right Before I introduce our guest, I just wanted to say that this is a topic that isn't super, super comfortable for us. So we are very, very thankful that we have the lovely Stefania joining us. So Stefania is a sensual operating specialist and she can tell you everything about what that means, as well as a coach on all things sexual and sensual. Hi, Stefania. Hi, Stefania. Hi, ladies. How are you doing? Are you a little nervous? A little anxious? Doing all right. Yeah. Feeling a bit sweaty. (laughs) Do you want to give us a quick intro? As you mentioned, I am a sensual operating specialist, which is really just fancy words that people who want a business card get to know. But ultimately, (laughs) I work with uh, men and women on how to tap into their own personal power that derives from their sexuality. Mm When we looked at, look at the world, we always say everything has to do with sex, except for sex itself. Sex ha- itself has to do with power. Oh, interesting. The way that I take it is that sensuality is how you insource that power. So you're not so reliant on perfect conditions, on perfect people, on things you can never control in the first place mm. to feel powerful in everything you do. It just so happens that sex is one of the best places to start because it is the best reflection of all areas of your life. Mm-hmm. And so most of my clients are coming to me with like anxiety, um, confidence issues, but it all comes back down to like, how do you relate to sex? And are you willing to explore that area? So it's really, really interesting that you say that um, sex is about power 
because I've just finished watching this Vox series on Netflix about sex. It's like Sex Explained or something. Mm. And yeah, they definitely went into what the common fantasies of people are. And one of the core elements of it was the role of power in sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's really great that you bring it up, that distinction, because there's actually a separation between like a dominance power and an energetic power. So energetic Mm -hmm. power is like the thing that has you walk upright, the thing that has you command attention in a room. It's the thing that has people gravitate and magnetize towards you. The way Mm -hmm. that we look at power as a society when it comes to sex is about who is controlling the situation. But ultimately, it's about who is so lit up in their body with energetics that it creates an experience that could not be duplicated. Wow, fascinating. I'm sure that seeps into all areas of sex, like pornography, sex in individual relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's funny because when we look at things like pornography, it's just performance. It's Mm. not necessarily about the energetics between two people, but like everything in life has some sort of polarity to it, Mm. right? We say positive, negative, magnetism. All of that is is just energy between two people. When we're doing things in front of a camera like with pornography, it's about performance. And I start to work with my clients on let's peel back away from the performance and get back to like, what is the truest thing in your body? And can we lead from that place? Okay. Mm. This is already so interesting, but maybe we'll take it one step back. Yeah. How did you come across this? Like, you know, how did you find sexual energy, sensuality, unpacking the difference between sex, sex for what it is Mm -hmm. and harnessing that in a bigger, better way that's, that's not just about physical intimacy? Oh, yeah, so it, it is really important to actually go through kind of my mm-hmm. journey to how I got here because it's not it's not the normal thing that people look at sex for, yeah. right? So I began my own personal growth journey in about 2014, and I was doing a lot of these like quite masculine systems. Like I did Landmark Worldwide, I did Tony Robbins, like I was reading all of these like really work hard, have integrity and like really stiff things. Mm-hmm. And I could do really well in them and it would be fine and I would excel, but I could always feel like there was something missing. There's still a disconnection between what I'm creating in the world and what I'm producing and what actually lights me up inside. Mm -hmm. And so I had flown down to Los Angeles and I had met with a a couple girlfriends who introduced me to this practice called orgasmic meditation, which in and itself is quite a sensational practice. (laughs) It sounds amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. Orgasmic meditation is, it's a partnered meditation. Mm -hmm. So unlike any other meditation in the world, it's not you being alone in silence in a room. It is a meditation designed with another person to have the most sensation activate in your body so you can just stay present with it. So what it is, is two individuals, one person with a vulva, and the other person is stroking the other's clitoris with no goal Mm -hmm. other than to feel sensations in their own bodies. Obviously, that's a little wild. It's referred as a desire-based practice. It's really about where is your own edge and where are you willing to play? Mm -hmm. There's no rules outside of that other than to be in an ohm session, you need to have your clitoris being stroked. So someone told you about orgasmic meditation and then what happened? Yeah. At first I was super resistant because I was like, oh, that sounds really great for other people. Yep. Right. (laughs) Not for myself. That's just a little bit too crazy. But the practice itself like started to just stay in my mind. And I was like, why is this thing so intriguing to me? Why do I keep thinking about it? It was about four months later that I had just stumbled on a workshop training 
and how to engage in the practice. And I was like, you know what? I'll go. I'll see what it's about. I fell in love with the principles of the practice. Mm. Not even the practice itself, because I hadn't practiced it and I didn't practice it for another six months or so. But the principles of the practice started to open up things in my life that were previously completely blocked. I started to learn what it was like to actually pay attention to the sensations in my body without judging them. I learned what it was like to feel desire in my own body and not try to like contort it or shift it or make it look digestible for someone. Mm. There was just so much that was starting to come to me that previously had no access to. So when you say principles, it's just like the learning. Is that what you meant? Om has like a series of principles that are involved in it, just like any other meditative practice. These are structures or containers that you use throughout the practice. So for example, one of the principles that you learn is that yes and no are both accepted and they're accepted with gratitude. Mm -hmm. And so before you even begin Om, the first question you're asked is, would you like to Om? In training, you learn that you get to say no. Right. Boundaries. And that your no is going to be received with a thank you. That's great. And so when you learn that principle, you start to walk around in the world saying, it actually doesn't matter how other people respond to my no. I get to say no. no. And mm-hmm. I get to say yes when I'm a yes. And your yes and no becomes so much more potent and powerful that you stop accepting maybes in your life. And so a lot of the practice was about like how much sensation can you actually handle before you villainize another person, before you become a victim to the circumstance? How much sensation is your body willing to tolerate before you go into autopilot? Oh, interesting. For most people, that's super low. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Because you don't train, like you you don't think about it. You just respond instantaneously yeah and and really it's like your body is tensing up in that moment to respond instantaneously as if there is a danger present there's dozens of principles but once I started to actually apply them to my everyday life I was like whoa there's something to learn about sex that affects everything everything And so it was at that point when I started to realize my own relationship to how my body was feeling how I was reacting versus responding I decided I was going to dive more into it. But then my knowledge just kept growing and I kept wanting to learn more. And so I dived into uh, the Wild Grace movement, which is all about sensual somatic movement in alignment with energies and archetypes. And so starting to learn how sexuality plays in just how we process trauma and how we process anxiety and nervousness. And just started plucking all these different pieces of information that was all coming back to the fact that sex is the microcosm for everything in your life. Mm. How you do one thing is how you do all things. Mm -hmm. And so I really work with my clients to being like, okay, let's unpack this. Let's unpack how we look at sex so we can start moving through things instead of the relationship that society tells us, oh, sex must stay in the bedroom. Let's never talk about it. And then meanwhile, people have shame, resentment, frustration Mm -hmm. show up in their family, their work and their relationships. It's all tied. (laughs) So interesting. Yeah, so you're kind of like a holistic therapist almost because it starts with sensuality, (laughs) but you're addressing all these other areas of life too and kind of dealing with boundaries that that person has and understanding of themselves within all these domains. Yeah, it's re- and I think that's a really great way to explain it because that's why I came up with the term like sensual operating specialist. Like how are you operating if you have no sense of who you are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No sense of boundaries, no sense of like physical intimacy, no sense of anything. You have no sense. Yeah. 
how can you actually operate in life in a way that's in service to you? I think what's so fascinating about this conversation is the teasing a part of sensuality and sexuality. So I feel that a lot of our conversations that we have on this podcast is learning how to learn or learning how to know a certain thing, whether the area is cooking or engaging in extreme sports. It's just knowing yourself more and knowing like what the things you enjoy are and why you enjoy them. And so I feel like this is like another area because sensuality isn't just tied to sexuality. You can have sensuality in a lot of different things like food or taking in a gorgeous scenery or taking deep breaths I think that there are things that are sensual that you can practice even if you're not like with a sexual partner right now yeah and that's why I always joke around and I say like my sex is a 10 even when I'm not having any (laughs) because it's just the sensuality of it like I have such a deep sense of my my body, myself, who I, like who I am, that who I'm with is an extra perk. It's not mm. dependent on them. And I think that's where we often get into trouble is our sex becomes dependent on the circumstance, on the individuals we're surrounded by, on how mm. our how how we feel that day, on what we ate that day instead of allowing it being something we're creating constantly, because that's what it is, it's like an energetic life force yeah. that you're building that can fuel all the things in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, like, have you noticed, if, if you've ever worked in an office, you'll meet someone who feels like very uptight. Mm-hmm. And the office joke is like, well, Suzanne just needs to get laid. Yes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> right? And yeah. it, and we... So as a society, we all know the power of sex, but we still won't address how important it actually is to our, like, accessing our own inner power. My kind of leading question to that is, where do we think this idea of sex comes from? Because even when you say sex straight away, we just think about actual penetration. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's just one type of sex. So I kind of would like yeah. to explore that a little bit more. I, I will go first. So I, I do think growing up in Malaysia, growing up as like an Asian girl, there's mm. always an expectation that you're supposed to be good. And sex was not something that we talked about in our house growing up. It was one of those things that you knew about it, but it's you, you, you would feel dirty if you talked about it. And I learned about yeah. sex mm-hmm. via Girlfriend magazine. It was just, yeah, really the The mainstream media yeah mainstream Mm -hmm. media is like making out like american pie like that was like the first movie i watched about sex and it was so male focused in terms of what sex is Mm -hmm. and i do think that's kind of framed my mindset about what sex should be Mm -hmm. right i want to like kind of go back to the concept of being asian Mm -hmm. if we go back in time and we actually look at asia They were highly sexual. Mm -hmm. In Japan, there's like scrolls of like highly graphic sexual content. Yeah, and they were celebrated. And they were celebrated. Up until colonization, where misogyny from Britain came over and penetrated a society of hatred of the feminine. Sex is innately feminine. It's about connection. It's about intimacy. So when you have a hatred of the feminine, you feel the need to penetrate it. And that's where we get the societal structure of what sex Mm -hmm. looks like. Yeah, pun intended. Mm -hmm. And so that's what sex now looks like as a society when we have misogyny running the show. Everywhere in the world, if we really go back far enough, nudity was totally acceptable. Sex was totally open. All of these things were rooted in our history, but it wasn't until there was a demonization of this feminine connection, this feminine experience of living, that we started to seeing it become taboo. Mm. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There is a lot there. I do want to talk about the Asian part of it too. Yeah. For me, growing up, there's a lot of similarities First of all, my parents never ever talked to me about sex, so the sources that I was getting my information was also that middle section of Cosmo where you had to like rip off the edges because it was too raunchy to be freely flipped to if you remember uh, that from your teenage years. As well as mainstream media where there is zero foreplay, people start making out and then they just go straight, bam, to penetrative sex and that's kind of where I was getting my knowledge and learning from and two especially in media I think there are kind of two types of representation of what it means to be an Asian woman sexually Mm -hmm. so one side is this like very submissive very coy very obedient uh, gentle subservient Asian woman and then the other side is this like sexually deviant rebellious Mm -hmm. kind of exotic and other and quote-unquote oriental um, sexual woman that's the complete opposite of that and I think neither of those narratives really serve me or the general Asian the general public or non-man population as well as the general public um, yeah. in any way shape or form so I think there's a lot that I myself am fighting against when it comes to my understanding as a sexual being as well as like within the broader context of the world for me whenever i hear like oh well i don't fit the narrative that is not for you to do you are not put on this earth to fit into a box that society gives you and so really it becomes how do i show up fully authentically who i am in whatever my sex looks like regardless of the societal narrative and that's where we get scared how you insource your power is so different than how I insource my power. Mm-hmm. Down to like, you know, we were talking about sensuality. Bitter orange for me is like a deeply erotic smell. Mm-hmm. For another woman, it's musk. And so when we start treating our sex as, as unique as our sensuality, we start to see how our power can manifest differently and how fitting this narrative is never going to help you. And in fact, it's like the one place in sex is where you get to actually say, fuck the narrative. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I I really wanted to make sure that we kind of looked at is like, when we look at our own relationship to asking for things in bed, it's, we have to also look at where do I not ask for things in my life? Right. It's looking at the flip side of that. It's like thinking and not thinking about what you want, but the other things, you know, things that you don't really think about. And I think that's probably even more tough because it's the things that scare you Mm. or it's out of your comfort zone, right? Asking the things. What we want to look at is like, where, where do I not ask for what I want? So for example, if you say like, oh, I want a raise and then you work hard in hopes to get the raise instead of asking for the raise, it's likely in bed, you want to ask for oral. So you'll give oral for an extended period of time in hopes that they'll offer. Mm. You just start to pull the parallels of being like, oh, 
this is how I do this thing. Does that show up in my sex? And sometimes it might not. You know, for myself, one of the things I really hate asking for is actually just to like have intimacy and have connection. And so asking my friends just to hang out with no goal in mind and just like seeing where the world takes us feels way too vulnerable for me. So I wait for them to ask me all the time. Mm. And then I still yearn for the connection and intimacy that I want, but I won't ask for it because I wait. So knowing that and seeing that, I can, I can kind of step back and be like, okay, so I'm not asking for the intimacy and connection I want. What scares me about that? And then when I look at it, it's like, oh, the underlying fear is I'm scared that they're just going to do it out of being compensatory. I want to hang out with people who have a true desire to hang out with me. I think the really important thing to identify is the end result might actually look very similar but it's really the things underlying what it looks like or what it is that is feeding to whether it is like an uplifting experience versus potentially not so much the result may look the same it's all about the journey of how you get there because the journey is actually what's going to provide you the nourishment so for me what happened was is when I started to look at oh where I actually get really resistant to ask for what Mm -hmm. I want at that point I start looking at Why is my desire for intimacy dependent on someone else? Right. Why are you relying on potential of what someone else could react to a sense of yourself? Exactly. Because true desire requires, yeah, true desire requires ownership and responsibility. Mm -hmm. Regardless if you say no, I have to own that my desire is for intimacy and connection. And so I ask for it even in the space of maybe having fear that you might not want it. Mm. I really like this word ownership that you're using and I guess one question that I have for you is how would you encourage those that are totally unfamiliar with taking ownership in their own sensuality and their and their own sexuality how would you encourage them to take the first steps in owning that so for people who are extremely resistant like kind of the first place to start owning your own sexuality is just to owning the sensations in your body you're feeling heat in your cheeks, you're feeling tightness in your chest, Mm -hmm. and start getting really intimate with yourself to discover how is it that your body's feeling. 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, it really doesn't matter, but being able to check in with your body and how it's physically responding to the situations around around you are going to be what has you feel more connected to your body. And the more you do that, the more comfortable you are with your sensations in your body when thoughts or experiences come up into your mind, the less you will try to avoid them. It's all it is is practice. And so we get really descriptive about what's happening in our bodies and then we are able to convey that to other people. There's a sense of ownership of what's happening inside of us. And it's only when we own what's happening inside of us that we can actually not be taken for a ride by it. I think in a lot of Asian households, even just talking about your regular emotions is like not done, but this is like (laughs) next level down from that. It's not simply emotions. It's like sensations throughout you. Yeah. And being able to describe it as well. Mm -hmm. And it's like so much of leaning into yourself. Like you said, really feeling and owning it. And I don't think a lot of people take time to even do that. And learning yourself. Yeah, there's no cause for it. No, and it's funny to me because what we're doing is addressing the sensations. Like, what does that actually feel like in your body? Because, you know, let's say you feel tension in your jaw. Well, if you feel tension in your jaw, that could mean excitement or it could be nervousness. 
we actually take away the, the positive negative mm-hmm. attributes by not actually calling it any of those emotions and having you own whatever it is that your body is experiencing from that place. Asking for what you want in bed is being able to be with whatever sensations you're already feeling because that's what's actually going to create the experience. So it really is just owning it and owning what you're feeling. So it's looking inward first, understanding yourself. And it's not about asking, right? It's really sitting with yourself, understanding what you're feeling and then tuning into your yeah, body. tuning into your body. Right. Because once you're tuned into your body, for sure, it's, it's kind of like when you're really hungry. You're so tuned into your stomach grumbling that you're like, hey, I'm hungry. But when it comes to sex and sensuality, we don't want to get so clear with our stomach grumbling. We always we think that it needs some formula or structure when it just really needs connection to self first. And I think it's important to say this isn't just for women. I think everyone could benefit from this. Absolutely. That's why I work with men and women. (laughs) Yeah. Men have been indoctrinated to have like severe performance anxiety. And so they focus on trying to get somewhere other than where they actually are in the moment. When we don't own what we desire, we don't own the experience we're already having, we are somewhere other than the present moment. So ownership is a big part. Absolutely. Owning it. Owning it 110%. So when I was um, thinking about this with Daph and uh, her friend had mentioned that it's what happens in the bedroom is also outside of the bedroom, but that really resonated with me too the fact that this kind of awareness and communication in a relationship especially is not just confined to the sex in your relationship but all aspects of your relationship I do think there's like so much in it that extracts and applies to all these other areas of your life have you noticed when you like demand something versus when you share you're like oh I really love this thing how people respond differently to you That in itself is an example of how we own what we want is when we're like, when we demand it, there's a sense of scarcity. Like I won't have it versus when we just share, there's a way that people actually want to show up for us and be like, you know what? I can actually service that need, right? It's, it always comes back to how much are we willing to own it? So any final thoughts about this topic that covers (laughs) all things, (laughs) bedroom and beyond (laughs) um my final thought is really there's sex is such a broad topic but to really be be engaged with your sex even if you're not having any but to be in the constant inquiry of like what is my relationship to sex and how is that showing up in other areas of my life those two questions will open up massive things for you Mm -hmm. in ways that will affect your bank account they will affect your relationships and then from there you can explore whatever you feel called to yeah that's so fascinating so much food for thought yes it's deep topic (laughs) a lot of things to go away and practice yeah now is the part of our podcast where we dive into some faq frequently asked questions (laughs) okay i am gonna kick off what's one thing you're really proud of that you've done thus far? So the summer before my 25th birthday, I went on a three and a half month road trip to finish seeing all 50 states. And I've done it. I've accomplished what I set out to do. Um, But it was wild. I stayed in like Walmart parking lots. I met random people from like women's travel groups on Facebook. (laughs) 
And I just really allowed myself to explore whatever I felt, (laughs) whatever I felt I wanted to, which led me to some very weird places. (laughs) But great stories, I'm sure. (laughs) Great stories. Great stories. What is one thing that you would recommend everyone try before 30? Oh, this is so this is so weird that I'm saying this, but like go to some sort of sex show or party just to like watch it right. and notice how your own body responds to people who are owning their own sexuality. Once you go in from the place of like, I'm just here to like feel the vibe, the experience itself changes from being a performance or a show that you're watching, but something that you're getting nourishment from. Mm. Wow. That's a great one. Yeah. Last question. Something you like to say to your 40-year-old self. I feel like it's more of like a question like, hey, is is life still this good? (laughs) Hopefully the answer is no, it's better. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much again, Stefania. We have had our minds blown uh, with all of the knowledge you've shared about knowing yourself. Do you want to tell our listeners how they can find you if they want to learn more or potentially even book a session with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can find me on Instagram at Stefania Maria with two A's at the end dot coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where all my links are. But if you are interested in working with me and would love to just hop on a discovery call, you can do that straight from my website at Stefania Maria with two A's at the end dot com. And just let me know where you heard me or found me and we'll hop on a call 45 minutes and just see if my work is actually best suited for you. Amazing. And did you want to give us a bit of a sneak peek about your upcoming podcast? Yes, I do. So as (laughs) anyone who was like raised in the 90s and early 2000s, everything that I looked at in the media was always about sex. So one of the things that I noticed was that like after college, we just stopped talking about sex. We stopped exploring it more. So I've released this podcast called Sexcapades and Coffee, where I bring in some of my greatest friends in the space of sexuality coaching. And we talk about our favorite sex stories and what those stories taught us about ourselves, which is massive because that's how we actually digest the experiences we have so we can have more aligned experiences moving it forward. So far, it's been so much fun. So you'll be able to find that on Spotify and uh, subscribe. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and it's thinking hard like I am thinking hard right now. And yeah, and uh, please DM us um, if you have any questions and make sure you share this episode with your friends if you've enjoyed it. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. And thanks, Stefania. Thanks, Stefania. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.